Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Dr. Christian Lucrecht is my guest. We are very grateful to, uh, to him for his participation on this program on a regular basis. Class of 1965, distinguished professor at the Royal Military College of Canada, editor-in-chief of the Canadian Military Journal, a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, also directs the Institute of Intergovernment Relations at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University, and his latest books include Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft, published by Oxford University Press, and Polar Cousins, this is a really big one, Polar Cousins Comparison and Arctic and Arctic Geostrategic Futures. Big deal for this country. And are we ready? We'll talk about that another time. Or maybe this time. Christian, thank you very much. And I'm so sorry for having sort of not been sure about exactly when we'd get you on the air until about 15 minutes ago. Roy, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. You're so gracious. Thank you very much. Let's start with the Israel-Hamas war. How do you assess, and you're the, uh, you're the expert when it comes to international security and uh, geopolitical matters, military matters. How do you assess how this war is going? What is of greatest interest to you? What is of greatest concern to you? So I think you're starting with the right premise, that this is a war between Hamas and the state of Israel. And my concern is in the public conversation, we've confounded that with the broader aspects of the dynamics of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians as a people. And so I think uh, we need to make sure we focus on the war aspect, because when you listen to what some of the politicians are talking about and some of the folks who are traveling through the Middle East to try to bring some calm, they're conflating the broader dynamics of the conflict with the immediate and pressing concerns around this war. And of course, it is the war that is currently causing the greatest human calamity, but it's also emblematic of the problems in the Middle East, which is that once a war starts in the Middle East, it is very difficult to stop. And that's, you know, we should be taking away from at least the last 20 plus years, but really anybody who studies the history of the Middle East understands those dynamics. And so the hope in the West that this will come to a quick resolution, uh, I fear may be misplaced. And if you can see the way everybody from the US Secretary of State to uh, the Turkish president um, are now trying to uh, find some arrangement in the Middle East, it shows you that the collective action problems are huge because there's so many stakeholders involved, ex including external stakeholders, and the transaction costs to do anything are very high. And if you want to see those transaction costs at work, just look at the Rafa crossing and how difficult it is to get anyone or anything across, which is a microcosm of the complexity of trying to get people to find some common denominator in this conflict. 
So it's Israel, Hamas at war, the Israeli military in Gaza. We're seeing the results of that. The Israelis are absolutely unapologetic about it. Their determination is to absolutely destroy Hamas. And that is bringing now Hezbollah into the picture as well, to the north of Israel and southern Lebanon. They're much bigger, much more powerful than Hamas, and they're threatening to get involved. And they're saying, the uh, Hezbollah leader has said, not too terribly concerned about the American Navy, which is massed on the coast on the Mediterranean, saying, we have uh, ways to deal with you. I don't know how they would deal with two U.S. carrier task forces, but good luck to them on that. But how do you assess the potential of this becoming now a two-front war? Well, so look, we're already looking at more than a two-front war. So um, talking about Hamas is not technically entirely accurate when we're talking about the war. The war is being uh, being conducted uh, by the militant arm of Hamas, which is the Al-Qassam uh, Al Brigades, uh, and the Al-Quds Brigade, uh, the militant arm of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. There are several militant groups that operate in the Gaza Strip, and they are now sort of, some of them, they're sometimes at odds with one another, but of course now that they have a common enemy as they see it in this conflict, they're coordinating with one another. You also see um, an increasing number of militant attacks on various sides in the West Bank, um, we now see anti-aircraft systems being transferred from Syria into Lebanon, uh, supposedly in support of Hamas. And we've also now had um, Iranian-backed militias from Iraq uh, for the first time claiming to have conducted two operations inside Israel. Uh, so the conflict, uh, certainly um, Iran and the militias that it supports uh, are signaling that they have the intent and capability to um, uh, make this, uh, this this conflict spread. And so this is probably Iran's effort to try to um, signal that um, no uh, stability can be found without uh, Iran at the table. And of course, nobody in the West is too interested in talking to Iran as a power broker. So you can see how uh, this is becoming rather difficult. And little Qatar is finding itself in this mediating role uh, between Israel uh, and the Hamas leadership. Uh, so yes, like everything in the Middle East, it's complicated. So two weeks ago on this program, you warned that this is the most dangerous time the world has experienced in decades. No reason to change that uh, that view, I imagine. Well, to the contrary. Look, I mean, if you're China and you're looking at what's going on, you're hoping that the United States is going to get embroiled in some ways in this conflict in the Middle East, perhaps going back to the 1980s with U.S. Marines in Lebanon. Um, and you're looking at what's happening in Ukraine, uh, with less attention being paid to Ukraine. Russia, of course, is now doubling down on its uh, industrial, military industrial capacity. And look, regardless of how Ukraine ends, Russia is not going to wind down its uh, military machine and it's uh, that it's now cranked up uh, for a sustained uh, war in Ukraine. And you can bet that uh, however Ukraine is sort of resolved um, that uh, – Six to 10 years after, Russia is going to um, double down and is likely going to attack uh, uh, NATO territory in the Baltics. Um, so I would say that anywhere between the next six months to the next six to 10 years, we're going to find ourselves in a major global conflict. Uh, and the problem is, of course, that uh, we need to be 
actively engaged to avoid precisely that eventuality. And yet what we see from many countries in the West, uh, led by our own federal government, is putting the heads, putting our head in the sand and pretending that all these problems will just somehow miraculously go away, as opposed to trying to learn the hard lessons from uh, the first half of the 20th century in actually trying to be an active player to prevent what I see is going to be a very difficult decade ahead. Okay, so let's look at internally, Canada internally. What's the greatest issue of concern to you in this country today? And and viscerally for me, I don't know where this factors in with you, but viscerally for me, it's the fear Canada's Jewish population is living with now. Uh, with many, and we'll be talking about this specifically a little later in the program today and again tomorrow. But I'm hearing uh, from Jewish Canadians saying, maybe it's time to just sell everything, leave the country I was born in, and move to Israel. Where does the, the, the concern and the fear of anti-Semitism fit into the overall dynamic in this country? Well, what we need from the federal government is a very clear articulation of that any expressions of sympathies with violent extremism or extremist violence in as diverse a society as Canada are completely unacceptable. And they're as equally unacceptable as federal, uh, federal MPs dog whistling to various extremist sort of sympathies and sympathizers in this country because they think that they want to get their votes in the next election. And so this, uh, this is a playing with fire sort of approach approach of trying to keep various sort of constituencies happy rather than drawing a clear red line when it comes to any articulation or expression of uh, extremist violence or violent extremism. Um, and that, of course, includes uh, includes hate crimes. And the leadership has to come from the political level rather than pretending that this is simply a law enforcement problem. The greatest threat that faces this country is the greatest threat this country has always faced, which is disintegration. This is not a natural country. Look at its geography. Look at its division in terms of religion, ethnicity, uh, language groups. Uh, that This is a country that has been actively built politically and that requires politics to keep it together. And I fear that on the one hand, there is significant ignorance federally about the risks of disintegration to the federation. Um, and there is, uh, I think, to some extent, also fanning the flames of polarization for boutique electoral gain that is ripping that that risks ripping this country apart. And you know, in the in in sort of what uh, what people in the West would call Central Canada, Ontario, Quebec. Uh, the view sort of towards the West that somehow uh, the West is sort of uh, not not playing game with Central Canada. Of course, you can turn that around and say, if you're looking at Western Canada, you feel that Ontario and Quebec have never really played uh, uh, played fairly uh, with Western Canada. And traditionally, astute federal politicians have done the opposite of what we're currently seeing, which is trying to make sure we bring this country together. And look, the greatest risk to disintegration has always come from foreign policy, look at the conscription crisis um, in the first half of the 20th century, uh, and a fear between what is happening domestically and what is happening internationally uh, that is only going to ca uh, cause the rifts in this country to uh, widen. So as you look at uh, another issue which is really captivating Canadians, and that is the issue of the carbon tax, and Mr. Trudeau saying for three years he will shelve, he will park the carbon tax on home heating oil, and particularly that affects Atlantic Canada. His his aim, his, his, his 
desire is to secure as many of the 32 seats of Atlantic Canada as he possibly can. And he's always done, and the Liberals have always done very well there. This time, they are in significant trouble. Is this carbon tax issue, when you look at the, the rest of the country and the premiers that are involved, and I'll be speaking with Mr. Polyev about this, is this carbon tax issue one which could, in fact, create a national unity crisis, or has it already done that? The challenge here is that we've had politicians that are governing by polls and by boutique electoral interests rather than in the national interest, putting the interests of particular political parties ahead of that of the country. Um, and uh, this is what we see ultimately on full display. And what this country needs is principled leadership that ultimately articulates a national interest and pursues a national interest. And until we find that, I fear that this country will continue to drift further apart and that the credibility and reputation of the federal government with voters in particular in areas that have already traditionally had the feeling that the federal government doesn't care all that much about them and their priorities will continue to feel further alienated. Uh, so, you know, uh, federal leadership ultimately needs to bring this country together uh, rather than uh, uh, doubling down on dividing the country. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 